Hello and welcome to the Digital Health Leader Podcast, a Chime membership series where we bring you the best of the best in digital health leadership. I'm Russ Branzell, your host for this podcast and the CEO and President of Chime, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. We continue to live and evolve through challenging times for healthcare professionals, their industry partners, and the people we serve. Leaders across the industry have proven their talent and determination as they innovate and transform their organizations to meet the moment and shape the future. We're proud to know those leaders here and support them at Chime. Today, we welcome a forward-thinking digital health professional who has cutting-edge experience in workload management, professional and personal development, interdisciplinary collaboration, process improvement, and shared governance. She is a demonstrated leader in the integration of nursing, quality, and information science used to analyze, manage, and communicate data collection. A proud member of the Cook Children's Healthcare System and one of their great leaders, and she gets to work for the CIO of the Year, Teresa Meadows, one of our favorite people in the planet. And we are having a blast spending some time with some of these podcasts here at the Digital Health Leaders 3.0 conference, which she is a integral part of. We are so pleased to welcome Verity Darnell, the Vice President and Chief Clinical Information Informatics Officer. I almost said that wrong, but Cook's Children's Healthcare System. So glad to have you at the program, Charity. Thank you. Well, let's just jump right into this. How are the wonderful people at Cook Children's in Dallas, one of my favorite places, doing these days in these crazy, turbulent times we continue to live in? You know, we got through a pandemic and then all of a sudden we deal with financial crunches and different issues there. How are you all doing right now? It's out to you to grace these great days. We're going to do a little bit better as we go into fall. Um, we're in less about COVID right now and more about um, heat exhaustion. But um, with that said, I think we're doing really well. Um, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, let's start with the hardest question you can ask, ask a Texan out there. Are you a Cowboys fan? I am a Cowboys fan. All right. We've now alienated at least 90% of our listeners now. So this is awesome. Well, we are here in Cleveland, Ohio, as we are doing this podcast. And I did walk through the airport earlier today and saw all the Ohio Buckeyes stuff and took pictures and sent them to the, most of our team who live in Michigan. Uh, if I'll buy you something on the way out, I'll send it to you. Well, let's just jump into something because you were at the convergence of trying to make all these computer systems and information manageable, usable, and all this stuff for nurses at probably the most difficult time, and, and I love using big words like this, in the history of the profession of nursing, where it is really hard to do the job. We have massive shortages worldwide. This isn't a US-centric issue. It is hard to be a nurse right now. Your job is to make it less hard. I'm not going to say easy, but your job is to make it less hard. Tell me what you're seeing right now in the world of our nursing teams. You are a nurse by background. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Yeah, I think um, really we are focusing on wellness. I think from an employee perspective, from a clinician perspective and burnout um, and really removing that friction for them that they deal with each day. We've done a couple of things already when it comes to uh, documentation reduction and really looking at sort of where the nurses are spending a lot of their time in the EMR and reducing sort of that burden. And we've seen a decrease in almost 10 minutes of shift without work. And then as we move forward into F24 and we start to um, navigate the world of artificial intelligence and all that is with, um, you know, that I'm gonna say firestorm 
um, of requests that we're getting from that space, we're, we're really looking at opportunities to provide our nursing staff uh, virtual assistance. So looking at potentially implementing uh, virtual nursing and um, as well as uh, ambient listening for our clinicians, primarily for our physicians. But then also there is opportunities with certain vendors out there to allow for nurses to have that same experience. I think nurses often feel like they get the cool stuff last, that the physician is always the first to get that really great, those really great tools. And so looking for opportunities um, to integrate ambient listening into their experience as well, um, just to decrease that burden, as well as improving communication pathways. I think um, both as a nurse at the bedside, communication with your patients and your families and finding a way to do that in a really seamless um, experience. So whether that's through their mobile device or through the use of um, RTLS and, and other features like that to um, streamline their workflows and have really the right people responding to the right requests at the right time um, are just a few things that we're going to be doing, have done um, to improve the nursing experience. Well, just earlier this week, I was at the UM where this subject of nursing shortage came up and uh, we had people from all over the world. And everybody says it's the same problem. Matter of fact, uh, I made a, st a comment when I had my rare time on the podium there and I had heard a, a number and I, I tried to get it validated because we had a lot of Indian leaders from India there. And I said, I've heard a number that you all are as much as 4.3 million nurses short just in India alone. And they said, no, that's not an accurate number. It's actually far worse. That's the number of openings that they believe they have. If they actually could get to their staffing ratios, they actually wanted the numbers probably north of five, maybe as much as six million. I mean, think about what, how many a million people is. I mean, that's basically, you know, the size of the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area as far as number of people. And you're that many nurses short. So as you talk about these technologies that we're going to have to do, we really are going to have to replace nurses, Number, not maybe an individual, but workload of FTEs, not in the tens, not in the hundreds, in the thousands of nurses in an average health system. We're going to have to reduce that many FTEs of workloads so that they can work at their top of the license. You mentioned a couple of things in technologies. What are you seeing as the real opportunities to uh, not make small incremental, and, and good for you all for the, the numbers you've done, how do we get to just crazy numbers of workload reduction. So nurses don't keep leaving the profession. Yeah. So you talked about openings, right? As a problem. One of the things that I'm hearing from clinicians at the bedside or nurses at the bedside today is just around mentoring. So we have a lot of our older nurses that are retiring from the field or retired during COVID. And we have a lot of really new and experienced nurses at the bedside who are really anxious to provide care independently or don't feel like they have the resources or support from other nurses on the floor because everyone's staffing ratios are really high. And so what can we do? And I think really looking at virtual nursing opportunities for that. So um, one of the things that are use cases that, that we've looked at, we've not implemented, but something that we've looked at, um, we call it sort of the angel on the shoulder. So if I'm in the ICU, if I'm an ICU nurse and I need someone to dual sign medication for me, or I need someone to assist me in a room with the procedure. Um, but might just be from a documentation standpoint, how do we do that virtually so that we can allow someone who's not at the bedside to take away some of that burden from the nurse. So being able to co-sign that medication from 
um, a virtual space or be able to watch a patient for um, deterioration, right? So I'm in another patient room and my patient's deteriorating and being able to recognize that or have someone recognize that early and often so that we can improve patient outcome. So I think really looking at those type of opportunities, um, nurses are required, you know, hourly, if not more, to round on patients for IVs and to look at their IVs to ensure they're not infiltrating. Is there a way that we can do that virtually um, uh, to ensure that, you know, we still have the, you know, the ability to go into the room and empathize and provide that patient care. But if I'm in another room or I have other things that some of those administrative tasks um, can be taken away and, and, and I'm less burdened by those. And I'm doing the things that I actually got into nursing to do, which is to spend time with my patients and my families and provide care where I can. Um, and then I think back to the mentoring part, I think mentoring is huge, right? So we really rely as a new nurse and I was a night shift nurse right out of nursing school. And at that time there wasn't a lot of residency programs or whatnot. So I graduated nursing school, they throw me on the floor. I have five patients independently at night. There's not a lot of people around. And so a, an experienced nurse who's going to recognize that deterioration or is going to recognize an opportunity that maybe I might not be able to recognize early and often. So utilizing virtual nursing um, for that mentorship and that communication with the bedside nurse to provide that support when they feel like they don't have any, I think is, is key. So speaking of mentorship, and uh, you were actually here with her at this conference at the Health Leader 3.0 conference, you work for a pretty amazing mentor. I and, 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 and I will fully admit she has been a great mentor and friend of me throughout my career. And and that is the, and I, and I always have to say this in the preface of this, and, and maybe she'll wander by the, the podcast booth at some point here, we'll yank her in here. Um, CIO of the year, uh, Teresa Meadows. And so she she really is one of those people that what you see is what you get. She's one of the most true human beings and really cares about you. What has it been like to have a great mentor who actually spends time with you to make you better? Uh, what does that mean to you and your team? It's the funniest story because when I started at Cook Children's, we, everybody goes through system orientation. And at the time, uh, Teresa was doing system orientation and she had like this little, you know, blurb that she gave about what IT was and, and things like that. And I was blown away because she mentioned during her, during orientation that she was a nurse. And I thought like, who gets into nursing and then turns out to be a CIO, right? So that's like just in passing. And then meaningful use comes along and we've got all these workflows that are happening. And I, I remember that we have this nurse that's a CIO and I'm like, I meet with one of my nursing directors and I'm like, can you connect me? Um, and at the time, children's only had one nursing pharmacist and one clinical documentation educator. And so we all connected and ultimately they were like, well, we need some subject matter experts. And I'm like, well, okay, I can do that. I can like tell you what's working, what's not working. Um, and, and so that's sort of how it happened to me or how IT happened to me. But I think really what the most important part about that was that I felt like I had someone that I could connect to that understood what I was going through as a clinician and really looked at the, the nursing experience or the clinician experience more than just the patient and family experience, which we all know is important. And in my tenure, so I've worked for Teresa for 10 years, I took one very small hiatus uh, to go work in the quality department and didn't last but maybe a year before I went back to work for Teresa. 
Um, and, and really the reason for that is because she's a great listener. So they teach you, right. Being a, a great mentor and great leader, you have to be an active listener and you have her attention when you're talking with her. And like, I brought her some very terrible ideas and she listens, right. And she waits to the end and then she's like, okay, so no, let's try. <laughs> right. Um, no, she's so kind and humble, but she listens to you. She provides really great feedback and you feel so it's just so easy to talk to her. So even when you have ideas that might not be great, she's something you can bounce them off of and you feel like it's okay to make mistakes. I think that's a huge part of being a really great leader is that we have an opportunity to make mistakes and, and not like just get beat down over that. And she doesn't do that with us. And she's, you know, lets us make mistakes. She lets us learn from them. And um, I think that's been my biggest uh you know, take away from that. And also she's really great at, at building you up and hearing about like, what do you want to do personally and professionally? And then she finds opportunities for you to do that. So, um, like if I want to go to a conference, like health tech leader, I can te text her and say, Hey, I heard about this thing and it's got a really great agenda. Um, would you see benefit or, you know, she wants us to, to go out and get and further our education or get certifications. And so, a professional growth is a big deal for her. So I'm, I find myself very lucky. All of us are very lucky to have her as our leader and well, she's extremely humble. So like if, when she got CIO of the year, um, I'm sort of our fun committee chair at Cook Children's is what we call it. And so I did this presentation at our all hands department about all the great things that we had done and had fun and how we communally collaborated with one another. And at the very end, I Celebrate! I took the opportunity to take something I wasn't supposed to do and celebrate her in front of everyone, and she loved that so much. She, like she really did. No, <laughs> but we have to find moments to celebrate her. Well, Melissa is sneaking as we speak. Is sneaking in the CIO of the year into the podcast booth as we speak. Our CIO of the year, Teresa Meadows, uh, who's been listening to you say all these wonderful gushing things. So she's either probably embarrassed or overly humbleized or whatever the case may be. So. I now get to welcome to the program our CIO of the year for Chime, Teresa Mattis. Welcome and thank you for joining Charity in this moment. I know you wanted to have it all. <laughs> well, first, welcome to the program, Teresa. Thank you for joining for a few moments at the end uh, with Charity's time here. A quick question for you, and, and you've heard some of the, the flatter that just was was dumped on you, well deserved as as our CIO of the year, especially. Why is it so important for you to have somebody like Charity, who was a nurse living that life, but now can do the work for you, representing you, who you obviously are a clinician in the past yourself, but you've got to do a million different things. Including you're one of the top cybersecurity experts in the world. You can't spend all the time focusing on clinic. Why is it so important? Matter of fact, even if you look at, at Charity's title, it is not just a chief informatics officer, a chief clinical informatics officer, which you don't see that title very much anymore. Um, uh, and if it is, it's kind of a, a the UK thing, which usually means physician actually over there. Why is that title so important for you to have somebody like this in the role? Well, first of all, Charity's special. So, you know, I, I, I think she, she brings a lot to the table. And the reason I, I chose that specifically was because the clinical officer role is more than just about the nurses. The teams that she leads take care of laboratory, they take care of pharmacy, they take care of 
lots of different areas, including nursing. And it's the groups that collaborate most with nursing. And having another clinician takes a huge burden off of my plate. I mean, for many years, I was CIO, CNIO, et cetera. And having other clinicians in IT is, is, is huge because then I don't have to be all things to all people and bringing other clinician voices into the team makes us better, mm -hmm. makes us better. Charity's experience as a nurse is different than my experience as a nurse. Hers is fresher, mine's more stale. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think there there's definitely opportunity there. And one of the beauty, beautiful things about our IT department as a whole, we probably have almost 200 people who came from operations mm -hmm. from different areas of operations. And we did that with our ethic and communication. So we have pharmacists, we have lab techs, we have people from the business office, we have people from HR, we have nurses, we have doctors, we have, and that is what makes our team great is we have lots of people who understand operations and how IT fits into their operations, which takes a lot of weight off of my shoulders to have to explain why that's important. Mm -hmm. And so having someone like her in that clinical role is important. We also have a CMIO mm -hmm. and her job is really more focused on physicians and physician activity, but charity's role is more the ancillaries and nurses. So having that duo actually makes a really good combination of people. Interesting. So Charity, back over to you. As you start thinking about this world that's being painted of, of nursing shortages now, and you can think about it. It's cool that you have all these people from operations, but operations, it's going to be short of people and it's only going to get worse. So this opportunities and challenges that are coming up for our profession are, are, are abound in both directions. What do you see as the biggest challenge for you as you try to do as much as you can to change the world of healthcare, change the world of clinical delivery? Where do you see the biggest challenges for you? What's your biggest challenge, you think, in, in doing your job and really creating the change you need to at Cooks? I really think the biggest challenge is really understanding where the burdens lie and trying to instead of just throwing technology at people, it's really walking beside them and trying to understand where sort of their rocks in their shoe are. Or if you, we are going to implement new technology that we agree that on the problem that we're trying to solve, right? So I think AI is a great example, but there's lots of technology out there where, and I've heard it today just at the conference where People, leaders, operational leaders, they go to conferences, they see this really great new shiny thing. I see it a lot with medical equipment um, specifically, um, but they come back and they're like, oh, we have to do this thing. We, have, we needed to do it yesterday. And I think the challenge with that is that not always is the vendors, and, and I mean this in the best possible way, but not always do they provide all the information up front. And so I think the challenge is finding vendors who that you, you can partner with. Um, that have the same vision that you have um, and trying to solve the problems that we're trying to solve. And I think the only way to do that is collaborating with our operational partners and really understanding what it is that brings friction into their day and then doing what we can to remove. And I think as we see healthcare move forward, like you said, in the ecosystem and how it's ever challenging, and ever changing, I think we really need to um, we really need to partner with our with the people who are doing work at the front line to be able to um, implement technology that is meaningful and that reduce risks. And then, you know, also 
um, provide them the infrastructure. And I think, you know, Teresa has always said this, but we can't do any of those things if we don't have a solid, safe, secure infrastructure. And like you had mentioned, you know, she is a, you know, a security expert. And, and I think that's been really integral even in my learning, because as we talk to clinicians, um, we have to tell, we, we talk to them about security as well. They're part of that problem. And so, you know, and they're, and they're part of the solution. And so that's just, just a few of the things that I can think of as we move forward, uh, we have to consider. So Teresa, kind of the opposite of that is, is you think about what's coming up and sometimes there's too many blinking lights and too many shiny objects and too many purple squirrels and all the other analogies we want to throw out there. What's got you most excited? It's going to make a real difference in hospital operations, clinical care outcomes. I mean, you just go, there's no doubt we are going to radically change stuff if we, and what's that thing that you, that you just see out there that just makes you want to jump out of bed every day and come to work? I, I actually think AI in general is one of those things um, if, it's, if it's done in the right way. And I think there are some companies today that some of their tools that I see get me super excited. <laughs> like, there's like there's a couple of things that I've seen lately where I finally went, this is what we've been trying to do for the last 20, 30, 40, however long we've been in healthcare IT years. I'm finally seeing the point where all this massive data that we collect can actually be utilized in a way to actually do something, not just a big repository of data that we can't do anything with. We can crowdsource data now in a way that actually solves problems. And the technology, yes, still an embryo, maybe a, maybe an infant, maybe a little bit, but it's going to get there. And the more data that we're able to, that's vetted, sustainable data, the better that's going to be. And and that's that's been the promise all along is to have collect all this data so that we can make outcomes better. And we're finally having technology where that's going to happen. I believe it. Um, might take us a few more years, but we'll get there. Well, I don't consider myself quite a prophet on things, but it was over five years ago. I remember doing a presentation in the UK where I said, we are going to have a massive labor shortage in 22 and 23. And it had nothing to do with COVID. If you just looked at the numbers, the boomer time, it's only going to get worse. Well, I'll do my next one. This one, this one's a big one. I want to get your reaction to this game. I've not made this, I have not made this public yet. So this is, this, this is the first time I've said this in five years, nurses will not have to touch a keyboard. Documentation will be automatic. That's my next product. Within five years, whether it be with ambient AI, auto feeds, they might have to do some adjusting on things, but rather they just click on something in voice and say, change this to this. The, the reality is 90% of what a nurse does today that is administrative documentation will disappear. It will all be automated. And what needs to be done is just correction based. Mm -hmm. Agree or disagree that in five years we can get there. I think we can get there in five years. I think so too. Had you asked me five years ago, I would have said no. Yeah, but I, I well, that would have been ten years yes. then. <laughs> right, but I, but I think the technology has evolved to the point that we can actually do some of the things we could have met. The things that we've been dreaming about for oh, years for sure. are happening. They're happening today in small tests of change. Mm -hmm. But I think you have a slide where you kind of show how small tests of change happens and. We're in 17, what is it, 17 for us? I'm trying to remember the presentation, but we're at the, we're right there where it's going to yeah. go up, directly up. And exactly. so um, it, it's exciting. It's super. This is why I got into healthcare IT. Yeah. This is the, this is the thing. And so hopefully I'm allowed to see it. 
Yeah. You know, no, you, no. you will be. You're still young. We were talking about that earlier. That you and I've been doing this a long time. Like, why do you still look young and I don't? What do you think, Jerry? Do you think you think we can make this big of an impact in that short? That's a short period of time in the history of the world, if you think about it. Yes, and in, gosh, in healthcare IT, anything changes. We were just having a conversation at work, like used to. We would do five-year contracts. Like we're down to like three-year contracts because technology changes so fast. What happens in three years isn't the same. And so, I hope that that is true. I hope that that premonition is absolutely true. I think. The clinicians, the nurses at the bedside, the people caring for patients, they need that. They really do. Um, they need that relief to do the job that they actually um, came to do. And then, you know, I've heard some use cases this morning, you know, just code documentation virtually or other things. And it gets, you get so excited and you're like, today, I mean, just everything that we do, whether it's on paper or in the computer, it's so lengthy and it takes so much time. And you feel like you hear nurses say, I didn't have a chance to go to the bathroom or I didn't eat lunch or I didn't do, or I stayed two hours after my shift because I had to do documentation that I couldn't get to earlier. So I hope that premonition is true. I think we can get there. I'm already seeing use cases like Teresa said and very small uh, tests of change. Um, and, and I think that we have um, the groundwork laid for, for that premonition. So hopefully we'll get there soon. We're almost out of time, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, Charity, right in front of, of the CIO of the year, oh, Teresa geez. Meadows. This is going to be a tough question. As um, a matter of fact, we've never had this on any of the over 100 podcasts, so this is going to be a tough one. So, so Teresa hits the lottery tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, she does, and she doesn't share well. So I've seen it. And uh, that, that is not a premonition. This is just a hypothetical situation. And she says, I'm not going to do, do this CIO stuff. I'm going to go play and do whatever it is I want to do. And she says, you get to be CIO tomorrow. Besides this amazing legacy set up, what's something different you would want to implement based on your personality, based on what is you want to prioritize that you would do out there? What would you do differently? Oh, gosh, that's really hard because I think that the things that I want to do when it comes to technology, clinician wellness, for, you know, burnout I think we're doing um or we're trying um what would I do differently yeah I don't know she's really good like I've stumped her I've stumped has, her see this is like one of those questions you have to like prepare for right yeah, so, yeah well that's why we do these the way we do well well she's thinking about for a second Teresa what's something you want to do different in your world that you just haven't been able to get to just, I mean, life's too busy. We can't do everything. What's up? You still want to really get to? Yeah, I mean, I, I hmm, there's a lot actually. I would like earlier when I was on a panel and we were talking about collaboration. I want to get to a point where collaborating with the hospital next door is as easy as internal collaboration. So I, I want to be, live in a world where we can share data securely, safely. And we know it's the right data for that patient. And it isn't a legal agreement. It isn't us bickering back and forth about what security protocol we're going to use. That would be like, if I could do that before I retired or something close, that would be the thing. Well, I've got an idea. <laughs> Instead of having a CCIO, you could have a CCCIO and add collaboration into the title. She already has a lot of initials in there. Teresa just really set the stage for collaboration. I think both like internally from a business perspective, I think 
that's one thing that sets us apart. I think she's already talked about just all of the different operational folks that we have in IT that understand the business. I think that sets us apart. When I collaborate with other IT departments outside of Cook Children's, I find that we're special that way. I really do. And, and I think our operational partners feel that way too. They regularly include us in the conversation early and often just to ensure that we're headed in the right direction. And I think Teresa sort of laid that groundwork. Um, I wouldn't say that I would change that. I think that's wonderful. I would continue to grow on that. And like we, I'm work, Teresa nailed it, right? So there we are right with other Epic institutions that are just right around us. Um, but the majority of them are adult-based, right? But our, our neonates go there. They go there to seek care. They go over there for surgery. They come back. And the access to information just in the 45 minutes they were gone is very difficult to get to. Mm-hmm. If I needed to know information about that baby's mom, right, because that is pertinent in this child's care, it's really difficult to get to. And I think we are partnering and collaborating with our adult partners to be able to get that information and with Epic as we move forward. Um, but I think just continuing to to monopolize that collaboration and build upon it, I think is is a really big deal for us to, to grow and scale um, from an innovation perspective. One thing I oh. think I want. Oh, now, now I came out. I was just about to end the pockets and I could see the light bulb go off. I saw it. Uh-oh. Brace yourself, Teresa. Okay. So I've actually never brought this up, but I have heard other organizations that have done this very well. And so we have a STEM lab and we have a great STEM lab. And within that sim lab, we really focus on nursing skills, right? So central line dressing changes and codes and whatnot. I would like to see a fully integrated IT and skills simulation that allows for us to not only um, you know simulate the care of the patient, but also simulate the technology in the room at the same time so that we can see that friction before it actually gets to the bedside on a much larger scale. So that is something I would like to do. Teresa, that sounds like that sounds like the job for a chief clinical informatics office. If you only had one. Well, on that note, we're just about out of time. We are out of time. Charity, thank you so much for spending time. Hey, Teresa, thanks for the guest appearance, sneaking in again. That was wonderful. And we appreciate everything you're doing for the great children of Texas and the surrounding areas. And so we appreciate both of you for what you do. We appreciate it. Hey, we want to thank you also for our listeners for tuning into this episode of Chimes Digital Health Leaders Podcast. As always, you can visit us at chimescentral.org forward slash media or in Spotify to listen to all of our great healthcare leaders. For now, continue to innovate, transform and create positive change to advance and improve health and care throughout all the communities you serve. But stay safe and God bless.